Sinister greetings to you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. It is absolutely appreciated. Those tunes you just heard are, of course, courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Welcome to part two of the Movie Curse episodes. Last episode, the following movies we discussed were The Wizard of Oz, The Conqueror, and Poltergeist. If you haven't listened to part one, I strongly recommend going back an episode. And today, we start off with The Crow. Before the movie started being filmed, the producers and directors went to the set only to realize that there was a voicemail message for them. Whether it was a threat or ominous warning, the contents were eerie. Bad things will happen if you film this movie. People will die. Things will go wrong. Etc. Okay, now we don't know exactly what was said in that voicemail, but it basically said that, that if you continue to make this movie, if you proceed to do so, bad things are going to happen. Little did they know how true this would be. The first day of filming proved to be a horrific one. A crew member was operating a cherry picker to set up lights for the set when he accidentally fell into a ditch. An eyewitness account gives this eerie detail of the incident. We lifted the back of the cherry picker where the guy was picked up and went right into an electric pole and he was electrocuted. He was near death. All his organs were burned. He was about 36. His wife was pregnant. It was a bad luck opening to the film. This would not be the only time a crew member got electrocuted during the filming of The Crow. Later on during filming, the film's carpenter suffered excruciating injuries when he was in one of the metal buildings on the set. He was working on a metal girder when the metal touched one of the power lines. This resulted in massive burns on the poor carpenter's face, chest, and hands. Two days later, on the third day of filming, a prop truck caught on fire. No one ever found out what caused the inferno, but again, not a good start to the ill-fated movie. And as we know, the worst was yet to come. As we all know, it is here on the movie set that Brandon Lee is killed. When Funboy pulls the trigger of the 44 caliber at close range, that's all she wrote. They tried saving his life by giving him multiple blood transfusions, but Brandon died later that day from his injuries. People who knew Brandon said that he often talked about dying and that he often had premonitions about his own death. He was overheard several times saying that he knew he was going to die suddenly, just like his father. The actor who portrayed Fun Boy, Michael Massey, felt absolutely guilty about what happened to his friend Lee. I mean, many pointed fingers blaming him directly, which is complete bullshit. Yeah, he pulled the trigger, but it was part of the movie. But actually, it was not part of the script. Massey later said that It wasn't supposed to happen, that he wasn't even supposed to be handling the gun at all, but that the director changed things at the last minute. And, unfortunately, by the time this took place, their weapons expert had already left the set. 
Brandon Lee's death haunted Michael Massey till his death in 2016. Also, Michael was so traumatized with Brandon's premature death that he never watched the movie. And I actually found a video, an interview of Massey before his death. And this is what he had to say about what happened. It was shooting the crow and Brandon died during it. Since then, I am very conscious of the dangers of making a movie. And, and it is a dangerous proposition where you, we throw ourselves out there with at least me with very little regard for my body when I'm doing it. And you're using different props that can be really dangerous, especially if they're not treated well. I mean, what happened to Brandon was a, a, a tragic accident. And um, it's something that I'm, that I'm gonna live with. It's taken me, took me the time it took to be able to not so much put it in perspective, but to be able to move on with my life. Tragic indeed, I just can't imagine. That wasn't the only incident with Brandon during filming. Believe me, the one just mentioned was the ultimate worst incident, but nonetheless, not the only one. During Brandon Lee's first scene with John Polito, he sustained an injury having to do with glass. In John's own words, he said, I remember my first scene with him was breaking through the glass to come into my shop at the end of the fight. And I remember him breaking through the sugar glass and his body got cut. I remember one of the first things I said to that man was, don't pull a Vic Morrow on this film. Don't endanger yourself in any way. Vic Morrow was still fresh on our minds at the time, unquote. Now, Vic Morrow, no relation to Tessa Morrow, yours truly, but Vic Morrow, it was horrible what happened to him. Talk about movie curses, and of course, I'm not going to talk about it on this episode, but maybe in a future episode, that poor man was decapitated, and two other children died too. I mean, talk about movies going wrong. I mean, totally heartbreaking. Now... The list goes on with others getting hurt. A stuntman being used for the movie had a close call when he fell through a roof on set. This horrendous fall caused several broken ribs among other painful injuries. Another member received injuries as well when a screwdriver went right through the hand. In addition to the accident list is a publicist who was working on the movie who was involved in a horrible car accident. And at one point during filming, a truck drove into the set. Rumors are that it was a disgruntled worker, while others truly believe that the driver just lost control of the vehicle. The movie was filmed in North Carolina during the worst time of year for the East Coast. That's right, folks. Look out! That's right, hurricane season. My second year here in North Carolina was a scary one when Hurricane Florence came barreling towards us. There's nothing like a horrific hurricane to make one feel so tiny and vulnerable. There's a reason why I now spend the long hurricane season far, far away from the East Coast, and that's in good old Colorado. Anyways, I jumped off track there, my bad. A hurricane comes barreling through while they're filming and destroyed several of the movie's sets. Now, this act of Mother Nature cost thousands of dollars of damage. 
It's eerie knowing that before they even set off to film this movie, someone taunted them with the eerie message that they better not make this movie. How did this mysterious person know? And who was the person behind that ominous message? We don't know. Never will, probably. It's believed by many that not only was the movie The Crow cursed, but that Brandon Lee himself was cursed. It's no surprise that his father, the legendary Bruce Lee, died during filming a movie in Hong Kong. In 1993, a movie about the martial arts legend was made titled Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. It's about a demon. And at the end of the movie, the demon loses interest in Bruce and goes after Brandon. Two short months before this film is to be released, Brandon dies unexpectedly. And one last thing, an interesting fact, Brandon Lee wanted to get into a character for his role in The Crow, a rock star coming back from the dead, so he would get several bags of ice and surround himself with them as he laid on the ground. The goal? To see what it felt like to be a dead body buried in the ground. One movie curse was so bad that it wasn't even completed, believe it or not. And the reason why is important. Too many people died. The movie that never made its big debut is called The Tuck. It was supposed to be about an Alaskan Eskimo who falls for a woman who's there in his village documenting a film about where he lives He's so fascinated by her that he becomes a stowaway on her plane and finds himself in the Big Apple. That's right, baby, New York City. A cultural shock, the Eskimo tries to adapt to his new life. So, I mean, that sounds like a funny movie. I'd watch that, right, you know? So the movie, at the moment, it is 1982, the year I was born. This is an idea circling around in the producer's and director's head. First person they think of to play the Eskimo is John Belushi. Funny dude. He was up for the role and he showed excitement about it. Well, a few months later, as we know, Belushi dies at the age of 33 years old. It was ruled as an overdose, but that changed two months later when a woman admitted to giving him the fatal dose and she was arrested and charged with first degree murder. Four years after losing Belushi, their main character in 1986, they casted... Sam Kinison. And in 1988, they started the filming process. A little after a week, Sam halted filming. Sam was not happy with the script, and he felt that things needed to change, and he started doing some improv. There were disagreements, of course, as nobody wants that, and soon a lawsuit showed its very ugly head. This delayed things for a few years, and finally in 1992, they started up filming again. Not too long after this, Kinnison was killed in a head-on collision traffic accident. The person operating the other vehicle? A drunk 17-year-old. While he did pass away at the scene of the accident, he didn't die immediately. His best friend, his brother, and his wife were there and witnessed the accident. What was odd is that Sam appeared to be okay at first. No obvious injuries were visible, no blood everywhere. I mean, he, he looked okay. 
However, right after the impact from the drunk asshole who hit him, Sam Kinison started acting very, very bizarre. He started talking to himself, repeatedly saying, I don't want to die. He then replied, as if speaking to someone who was talking to him, but no one else could hear or see, and he said, but why? He then said his final words, okay, okay. He then lost consciousness and died at the scene due to internal injuries. You would think that after two of the men who was to portray their main character died unexpectedly and years of delays, they would have called it quits. But no, they were relentless. They truly thought that they had a phenomenally funny script. And in their defense, it was funny. Everybody who wanted to be this role was very excited about it and showed enthusiasm and they were truly happy about it. But these guys, they were going to make this film no matter what. And after yet another delay, then in 1994, the next victim, (coughs) actor, to say yes to the part was comedy legend John Candy. He liked what he saw, like the others, when he was sent the script. But one thing stood in his way. He was currently in Durango, Mexico, filming what would be his last movie, Wagons East. While Candy was still filming, on his off time, he was looking over his new script. He was stoked. He was excited, and he thought that this role was an awesome one. John asked his good friend, fellow actor, Michael O'Donohue, to read the script in hopes that Michael might also take part in the would-be comedy. Candy would never get to play that part, as sometime on March 4th, he died while in Mexico of a heart attack. And... In November of that same year, Michael, who suffered from severe chronic migraines, died due to cerebral hemorrhage. For now, with these most recent deaths, they put a tuck back on the shelf and another few years goes by, collecting dust. When in 1997, it's decided that they will start searching for a person to portray the part in what they now believe to be a cursed would-be movie. Seems like unseen forces are working vigorously at all costs to stop this movie from being filmed and released. It doesn't take long for them to sink their hooks into the lovable Chris Farley. Chris was very well aware that his idol, John Belushi, a man he truly looked up to, was offered this part and was very interested and somewhat honored that, hey, Belushi was offered this part, and now I'm being offered this part. Sadly, as we know, Chris Farley got on the list of actors who die. He died at 33 years of age, just like his idol, and the same way, too, a fatal speedball. But I don't think the hooker involved with his case was arrested for murder, which she should have been. Now, right before his fatal overdose, Chris showed his dear friend, one of my personal favorite actors, Phil Hartman, the script. Chris dies, and five months later, Hartman is brutally murdered by his coward of a wife. And to date, the doomed Tuck sits on the shelf, getting dustier with each passing year. Question is, will they try to revive the script? And if so, one can't help but wonder who in the living hell would say yes to it. Yes! No! That's right. A big fat no. My boyfriend actually keeps joking around saying, oh, they better not start up again and try to get Kevin James. 
For real, I think you just need to burn that thing up because that is just too crazy. It's like, again, too many people died so they didn't make this movie. I mean, the scary fact is, is that even, even people like Michael Monahue and Phil Hartman, who weren't offered parts but read the script, they croaked as well. Yeah, burn that bad boy. Now, next up is another favorite of mine. I grew up watching this movie, The Exorcist. This movie was plagued with accidents, death, and narrow escapes. Several deaths are connected to this horror movie. Jack McAuran portrayed Burke Dennings, the alcoholic at the party. And as a kid, I remember busting up laughing at his famous line, There seems to be an alien pubic hair in my drink. I mean, I would often say it, and when me and my middle sister would argue with each other, which was like every day, we would call each other alien pubic hair. Like, I know, kind of immature, but come on. It was not too long after the beginning of filming when he contracted influenza and died due to complications from the London flu epidemic. This would be his final film. And one week after the release of The Exorcist, Linda Blair's beloved grandfather, who happened to be the night watchman on set and a special effects expert, he dies. Max von Sydow, the man who portrays Father Marin, his plane literally touched the Earth's surface. He was en route to filming when he heard that his brother had just unexpectedly died in Sweden. Max himself got very, very ill during the filming of the movie. A couple other actors who died, but not till a few years after the release of the movie, were Barton Heyman, who played Dr. Klein, and Lee Cobb, who played Lieutenant William Kinderman, both heart attack. Vasiliki Mayaros, who I probably said that wrong, she portrays Damien Karras' mother, she died before the completion of the movie. I think that one was natural causes, but nonetheless, another death. While his on-screen mother died, the actor he played, Father Karras. Jason Miller was approached by a priest while on the street. The encounter was an odd one and something that Miller would never forget. The priest hands him a medallion and says to Miller, Reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will even try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. Another eerie incident that affected Jason Miller personally was that his son, Jordan, who was enjoying a day out at a deserted beach, literally deserted, nobody was around at all, he was hit by a car, which appeared out of nowhere. Was it intentional? Sounds like it. The young man, he almost died. In addition to the death list are incidents that happened that were way too close for comfort. One early Sunday morning, a fire broke out on one of the movie sets, what was to be the McNeil house. The cause turned out to be a bad electric circuit. Whatever the cause, though, it shut down filming for six whole weeks, and they had to reconstruct everything all over again. Now, what's eerie is that the only room to survive the fire was Reagan's room. As we know, most of the scary shit happens in Reagan's room. When the set was complete, the brand new sprinkler system all of a sudden breaks down, adding two additional weeks to shut down. When some people lost their lives, some lived to see the movie finished, but not without injury. 
a lightning technician, lost a toe in a freak accident. One of the carpenters working on set accidentally chopped off his thumb. In the summertime, they filmed a part of the movie in Iraq. The crew dealt with excruciatingly hot temperatures up to 130 degrees. And now I'm remembering when I was in Tombstone and the temperature was 118 and it was scorching hot. I can't imagine 130. Like, ouch. 18 crew members were sent there. Nine of them would not complete filming process. One by one, the crew started suffering from heat stroke, sunstroke, and other illnesses. Oh, yeah. And remember the bronze statue of the winged demon? It got lost and ended up in Hong Kong, delaying filming for two weeks. Now, being in Hong Kong, I, I thought, hey, it might be a lot longer than two weeks. That's not too bad considering it was all the way over there. But still, two more weeks of delay. The demon itself was in a 10-foot crate. How the hell could they misplace a 10-foot crate? Ellen Burstein, who played Reagan's mom, Chris McNeil, later said about the movie, I don't know if it was a jinx, but there were some really strange goings on during the movie and the making of the film. We were dealing with some really heavy material, and you don't fool around with that kind of material without it manifesting in some way. Linda's grandfather died. The assistant cameraman's wife had a baby that died. The man who refrigerated the set died. The janitor who took care of the building was shot and killed. I think overall there were nine deaths during the course of the film, which is an incredible amount. It was scary. So speaking of strange goings on, Ellen was injured during the scene when her possessed daughter Reagan, played by, of course, the lovely Linda Blair, throws her to the ground. It was so real and so intense that they decided to keep that scene in the movie. When Ellen lets out that painful, blood-curdling scream, that's not acting, folks. It was completely genuine. I said, Billy, he's pulling me too hard. I can get hurt. And Billy said, well, it has to look real. I said, I understand, but I'm telling you, I could get hurt. And the stuntman was standing there listening to this, and Billy said to him, Okay, don't pull her so hard. But as I turned away, I felt them exchange a look. So that was her. I found a clip talking about what happened. And that's crazy that they, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, with Margaret's case, the Wicked Witch... The scene went off without a hitch, and then they wanted to do it over, and then something horrible happened. And she even said, you're hurting me. This sucks, you know. And I stopped prematurely on the interview, but at the end, she sees on the ground as she's crying, she sees the camera right in her face, and she said, get that fucking camera out of my face. And she was so mad, and I can't blame her. Obviously, that little clip I just played after the interview is of her screaming. And that scream was very, very real. You could see the pain in her face. You could hear the pain in her voice. So, very scary stuff what some of these people went through during filming. And the pain, the injury 
her chiropractor said that it would just be a few days, but to this day, she still gets pain. It was a very permanent thing for her. Another injury that occurred during filming was from Ellen's own TV daughter, Linda Blair. She was thrown out of bed when a piece of rigging suddenly broke. Her back was severely hurt. And like in Poltergeist, things proved to be getting way too intense and scary for the crew. So an exorcism was conducted at the set. And once this was complete, no huge things happened for the rest of the filming. Other weird things that did happen, however, Mercedes Mick Cambridge, she was the voice over for the demon. And there's some people who are like, what, a woman doing the voiceover for that? Like, but you have to think, like, you know, there's some people who are pretty talented out there who could do different voices. And I'm not saying I'm talented, but... I think this voice is pretty badass if I don't say so myself. I could do it anytime I want. So there we go. But a few years after The Exorcist was released, her estranged son murdered his wife and their two young daughters. Then he killed himself. He left behind a bitter letter to Mommy Dearest, and it read, Initially you said, well, we can work it out. But no, you refused. You called me a liar, a cheat, a criminal, a bum. You said I have ruined your life. You were never around much when I needed you. So now I and my whole family are dead. So you can have your money. Night, mother. Okay, so honey, not to break it to you, but you kind of are a criminal. You murdered your two children and your wife. I mean, and then you're blaming other people for it. Come on, give me a break. After the movie, for reasons unknown, Linda Blair received so many death threats that the studio actually had to hire a bodyguard for her to escort her for the next six months. She was a child when they filmed this. Are you kidding me? Death threats to a child over a movie? Come on, that's that's pretty low. It must also be mentioned that at the movie theater, some people fainted while watching the movie. And moviegoers were actually handed vomit bags. In fact, when The Exorcist was first released, it was banned in every Middle Eastern country with the exception of Lebanon. However, they did choose to ban the re-release. One spine-tingling event occurred. Picture it. It's the Roman premiere. Crowds of people here, groups of people there. The weather is horrendous. It's thundering and lightning and raining up a storm. And the people are fighting their way straight into a torrential downpour. Come hell or high water, they're going to watch this movie. No matter what. People inside the movie theater claimed that once the movie started playing, they heard a demonic cry. Coming from outside. Lightning also struck the church across the street from where the movie was being played. And it struck repeatedly. During this time, a woman is so terrified that she passes out, and as she falls, she breaks her jaw. She would later on sue the filmmakers, blaming the subliminal messages caused the accident. 
There are so many other movies that had their share of curses, untimely deaths, freak accidents, fires, mayhem, mishaps, etc. There's way too many to mention, but please do expect to see a part three sometime in the future. Next time you sit down with a blanket over your lap and a bowl of popcorn and you're about to watch a movie, it may be a movie filled with behind-the-scene freak accidents, deaths, and fiery escapes. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen right now by going to any of the podcast platforms such as Deezer, Spotify, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcast, basically wherever you may roam to listen to your other fantastic podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Lome, West Africa. Columbus, Montana, San Jose, California, Flint Township, Michigan, and Lacey, Washington. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.